Hey there, this is episode 32 of the Everything Went Black podcast. Mike Wahlberg stopped by before heading out to his uh, art group art showing at Gristle Tattoo. And uh, I'd like to thank Mike for swinging by. I know that he was under a pretty tight time constraint. So anyway, here we go. Today, I'm part of a group show at this place called Gristle Tattoo and Art Gallery. Uh, it's in Williamsburg, and the show's about philias. They had a phobia show last year, and they invited me back to be part of this one. Uh, the owner, Dina, is an awesome lady, and she has me in whatever shows that she can, so uh, that's going to be happening tonight, and it's a lot of really awesome artists. Buddy Nestor's part of it, Heather Gargan's part of it, Corey Benhatzel's part of it, and uh, a lot of other people whose names I can't remember, but I was just there literally right before I came here, and the work that's hanging already is just absolutely great. So, Is there some sort of theme of sort of gathering everyone together on the show tonight? Uh, Philly is. All right, what's explain? Philly is, uh, it's essentially the opposite of phobias, whereas phobias are the extreme fear of something, Philly is are the extreme love and obsession with something. So, uh, last for the phobia show, I did, um, Hexacosioi, hexaconta, hexaphobia, which is the fear of the number 666. And, you know, for obvious reasons, I felt that that would be a fun one for me to work on. But doing more research into it, I, you know, really kind of gave me a new perspective where I was kind of expecting to do this, like, you know, metal, Satan, you know, scaring some dude or whatever. Uh, I actually got to look into the numerology behind certain things and uh, what the phobia actually entailed. And there's a lot of people who don't really acknowledge it as a real phobia, and it's more something that um, religious fanatics kind of impose upon themselves. Like the guy who recently quit his job because he was assigned the ticket number 666 for however many years, even though he was strongly opposed to it. He said that he chose God over money or whatever. And, you know, just for the simple fact that that number appeared on his work card, he said, no way. Um, but then you look into the numerology where people will look at the uh, Roman alphabet and Roman numerals and kind of um, assign numbers to certain letters, and people have justified that uh, Pope Augustus Caesar, I believe was the first one I did, uh, if you translated his name into Roman numerals, that his name actually added up to 666. And there are people out there who think that uh, the Pope's full title, which I can't remember what it was, uh, but if you add up the uh, the sum of his name, that it added up to 666. And that's more of the Lutheran base who think that the Pope is corrupt. Oh, and then, okay, yeah. Um, there's Aleister Crowley, who chose a name where uh, it added up to 666, which, which I found really kind of funny that he's just going so far out of his way to be uh, I think it was the Great Destroyer or something like that is the name that he chose and switching up the numeral. So I got to do portraits of those three and then one main piece that was 18 by 24. And But this time I took it a little bit easier and I only did one 11 by 14 painting. But it's the first rendered figure that I've done since college where I'm so used to working with flat colors. Like this was a legit acrylic painting that you know I did my best to make it a form rather than um, flat iconic interpretation. So uh, just going back to the uh, the numerology thing, you know, like when they originally uh, 
you know, approach you about this whole, this whole thing. What what sources did you use to find out about this, uh, the, the numerology behind 666? It all starts with Wikipedia. Like, I know that it's a super unofficial source, but it's a good starting point. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, you kind of delve into other websites. And it's for this one, I didn't feel as compelled to find medical journals and things like that just because if modern medicine doesn't really acknowledge it as a real phobia, then they wouldn't really have that much information. And it would be even better to look at the crackpots out there who are so obsessed with finding this number in places that it really doesn't exist. Right. And on top of that, uh, there are a lot of people who say that the number 666 is actually incorrect, that that's not the number of the beast, that the number is actually 606. And uh, through misinterpretation, as with every other thing that you know, popped up in the Bible that it just evolved into 666 and now that's what people associate with it. The numerological, the numerological aspect of that number actually I think is a little bit more meaningful to me at least because lately I've been reading a lot about like sacred geometry and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, the pre-Christian ideas of patterns and whatnot. So I mean the fact that the Christians might have at the late at a late stage in the game like got hip to that number or some variation of that number and incorporated that into their mythology, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of interesting. I have to do some some further reading on that. Yeah, it, you know, a lot of it comes from the Mesopotamian religions and you know what kind of superstitions they had at the time and how it evolved. It's just I just find that phobia to be so interesting because even though I. You know, it started because of my initial metal background. It became something more in just reading the lengths that some people have to go to really find this to impose it upon themselves. Yeah. So, um, did you have a? Did you go to school for art? You have a formal background in the arts, like you know, from college and whatnot. Yeah, I went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and it was a great school. It was a four-year program, and. I've known that I wanted to do illustration since I was like six. So it was just as soon as I learned that I loved to draw and that I didn't really love too much else in terms of other fields. Uh, that's it was just a kind of narrow-minded goal, which is funny because throughout school, like primary school, I didn't really have that much art education. The you know we had our middle school art class and whatever, right. but as soon as I got to high school. The arts program just was practically non-existent. I took a lot of, you know, I was a smart kid in school, so I took all the AP classes and, you know, all the honors courses that I could. And because I took those, the one or two art classes that we had just conflicted with my schedule. And I think I took either one or two, and they were both focused more on sculpture rather than drawing, which was really kind of annoying. So uh, before I applied to art school, I took a portfolio preparation class at SVA in New York. Oh, okay. And that really kind of, you know, as if I didn't have it, but that really kind of furthered my passion for illustration and figure drawing and everything associated with it. And then when I got to college, it was just full steam ahead. You know, I, I was never the kid who went out to parties or looked at it like a joke. You know, I was always the one who, you know, stayed home, never when I, you know, not only did I do the assignment, I did way more than what the assignment entailed to, in the interest of bettering myself. And, you know, in some ways it kind of stunted my social growth, but at the same time, you know, it developed a work ethic that 
you know, is one of the few things that I don't think anybody can deny about me. Yeah, definitely. The, um, I don't know if you ever read that, uh, that book out called outliers. Mm -mm. It's, um, it's like typically, technically it's in the self-help section of most bookstores. There's a lot of stuff I've been reading lately that would fall under that sort of, um, you know, that, that kind of category. Mm -hmm. But I've been, I've been able to get a lot of good information as far as like, uh, you know, motivational things or a different way of looking at your life or, you know, insights into improvement and things like that. And, uh, some of the things they talk about in there is like the 10,000 hour rule of, uh, doing, putting 10,000 hours into a certain skill. And that once you get that, you hit that number, you're, you've mastered that technique or whatever. So I think a lot of that applies like to, um, you know, to music and, you know, art and just of course. the repetition. I mean, I think that a lot of people in the creative fields, um, they don't, they don't think of numbers and time and repetitions and whatnot, you know, and that's kind of repetitions and time is, is, and to build skills is sort of something that I'm very familiar with just from, you know, I mean, you know, when I was, a, you know, I was a kid as well as like doing well in school and being involved in, in, uh, you know, in music and what, and that sort of, those sorts of pursuits I was involved in, you know, you know, wrestling and like martial arts and stuff mm. like that. And definitely the repetition of going over certain things over and over and over again and trying to get those numbers in is really what makes you better at these things, you know? And I find like people in the creative fields, like have this misconception that, you know, it's musing away and not putting the time in, you know, you can get, a, get away just on a lot of that natural ability, but to sort of break past that plateau of your natural ability, you got to put in the hours, you know? I find that it's mostly the people who don't have the natural ability and think higher of themselves that they, than they really <laughs> do. I mean, you know, that was the thing about college. I really, I valued my college education very much. And right. whereas I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody, especially in these days where college is a million billion dollars to yeah. take one course. But, you know, I was there to learn and people have this misconception that art school is very much just a place where you go and take drugs and you think about art and you kind of have these nowhere phil philosophical discussions. Whereas to me, it was very much a skill. And after that college was up, then I had to find a job and we're in a day and age where illustration is the market is so saturated. Everybody considers themselves an illustrator, especially now that Photoshop is the most pirated program out yeah. there that, Oh, I, you know, my brother does design and, you know, he got, he got a pirated copy of Photoshop seven. Therefore he can just add a bunch of filters to stuff. You really have to prove that not only do you have the ability, but you have the drive to do it and do it well and do it on time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big misconception in this day of freelancers and, you know, graphic designers and whatnot. Like everyone kind of considers himself halfway in that world, but really what they're doing is mastering the platform, you know, mm -hmm. mastering the software and sort of getting adept at the technical side of things, but they're sort of vacant on the creative side. Yeah. You know? No program can teach you composition or color or anything like that. It's just an easy tool to make things quicker. Yeah. So when I met you, you I was at, um, in Philly mm -hmm. at the Red Sparrow show. And this is like, well, like six years ago, maybe seven years ago. Uh, yeah, I'd have at to least. be like, 2006 or something. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, well, actually, well, probably more than that. Okay. So you were, uh, I remember you did uh, some screen prints for that show. Mm -hmm. And so how did you get into doing like show flyers and t-shirt designs and that sort of thing? So after freshman year of college, 
uh, I, you know, once summer break happened, everybody was still in the high school mindset of, oh, it's summer break, I get to, you know, fuck around for three months. And the very first thing I did after the last day was I went online and I started asking around about doing any kind of illustration work. And the one thing that I kind of focused on was uh, I emailed Sean Agnew, who runs R5 Productions in Philly. And I said, hey, I'm just a, you know, college kid who's looking for some work. If there's any kind of flyers that I could do, I'd very much appreciate it. And he said, well, he actually responded and said, well, um, you can do flyers for these shows. We really don't have a budget to do them. Like, you know, we can give you like 20 bucks or something like that. But if you're just looking for the portfolio work, then that's fine. And I was like, all right. And I did a couple. They never got used. And I got a little bit flustered. And I was like, oh, whatever. It's dumb anyway. Right. And... Uh, then sophomore year of college, that's when a buddy of mine taught me how to screen print. And as soon as he taught me, you know, I was really enamored. I thought that it was a great way, especially for me, because I do a lot of work on the computer. The problem is that you don't really have a final product other than a digital file. And not too many people are impressed with that these days. I know that there are people who work completely digitally and they do amazing work, but people are far more impressed by a painting than, you know, a, a printout. So I started up with that, and then I emailed Sean again, and I was like, hey, I don't want any money for doing the flyers. Is it possible for me to do flyers and then sell prints at the shows? And he said, well, yeah, you can do that, but we can't really give you any table space, so you kind of have to set up shop elsewhere. So junior year of college, uh, I was standing outside of shows in the fucking freezing cold trying to sell prints for these shows, and it was an Ann Albatross show that I was selling prints and uh, the guy who booked the show actually played in the show, this guy named Joe Free, and uh, he saw the poster and he was like, you can come, like we can give you table space for the shows that I booked. That's not a problem. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah so he definitely took pity on me and he brought me in and I just started doing posters for him. And since I'm set up at the table next to the bands, that's when I get to talk and I get to network and find out who's cool and who's not. And that's how I met you at that show. Wow, what a surprise, because I'm not really that cool, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, wow, man, there's a lot of cooler guys. That's people than I know. There was a lot of cooler guys at that show, though, man, besides me, you know. I was just like, you know, Red Sparrows, it was like, you know. The funny thing about that show <laughs> is uh, I was also approached that night to do a uh, possible poster for uh, Made Out of Babies. Oh, yeah, because uh, Brendan was, uh, he was tour managing them, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And nothing and he, came of it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think they were, yeah, because that was, I'm trying to remember when that band actually kind of broke up, but it wasn't for a couple of years after that. No. You know? Yeah, so they were still kind of in the middle of their career or, you know, the heyday of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Wow, was it that long ago, man? Yeah, Jeez. man. Time flies. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to do a workshop for the seniors, and I'm thinking, like, you know, it feels still like a couple of years ago that I graduated from college, and it's like, oh, Jesus, I'm like six years older than these kids. Yep. Like, yeah. Just wait, man. Just wait till, oh, you, I know. Just wait like, till you hit 30, man, then 40, you know? You're yeah. just like, things that happened 20 years ago seem like yesterday sometimes, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, nowadays, though, you seem to be doing quite a bit of work with different bands, like, you're, you know, T-shirt designs, you know, album covers, things like that. Yeah, it's been nonstop for like the past, I'd say, three years at this point. Like after I graduated from college, I really 
hit hard with the because this is in the time of MySpace. Yeah. You know, after yeah. I, literally the day after I graduated, I spent three days on uh, MySpace sending out messages to every single band that I could think of, and I actually got a lot of positive responses. So, uh, you know, it's just ever since then I kept the momentum going, and because of that, I got to work for Cannibal Corpse. I got to work for Children of Bodom. Got to work for you guys. Obviously, I do a ton of work for Rosetta. Right. Uh, I did work for Asking Alexandria, which I find hilarious. Um, now, wait, that band is like sort of one of those. Um, so I, I only in passing on recognize that name. So they're sort of like more on that kind of kids metal, mm-hmm. like screamo, like pseudo screamo kind of stuff. They make screamo look like legit black metal, like. They're very much in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll mentality of the 80s. Okay. And they're bringing that back with breakdowns and dubstep beats. Oh, and wow. From, you know, it's weird because, you know, it's not... I'm not trying to shit talk them as people because from what I understand, they're actually very polite and well-spoken. Right. It's just that image that I find kind of counter to what I grew up with in terms of metal and hardcore. Oh, yeah, definitely. And... Well, maybe not metal. And metal is always... I mean, even even like... Like metal has always been sort of like this rock starish kind of vibe. Like even even like, you know, you go see like even Cannibal Corpse, you know, or yeah. Morbid Angel. Like mm-hmm. those guys have a certain level of things that they want at the show. They want a certain sort of production value. They want to get fed. They want like hotel rooms and all that. You know, that's that's totally fine. That's like I don't have any problem with that. I don't look at that as being a negative kind of thing. But more like in the hardcore scene and the punk scene, it's almost like you can't succeed somewhat. Like you can't yeah, yeah. get these financial. As soon as you succeed, then you're a sellout. Yeah, like <laughs> if you're if you're like you know you're busting your ass for years on end, playing you know in basements and driving around in a van and you know sleeping on people's floors and all that sort of stuff. That's cool as long as you're suffering. But then like the minute that you start succeeding and you're, you're sort of building up like a little bit of a financial momentum, that's when people think you're selling out, even though they in reality you're just barely breaking even. You yeah. Know. So anyway, that's I guess like bands like that we're discussing um, are sort of like hardcore bands, but they're dipping into that sort of '80s metal like vibe with the mm-hmm. sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing. Yeah. It, yeah. Again, like it. You know, they paid me, and they're great clients. Like sure. they loved what I did. It was very painless, and you know, I worked for them again in a heartbeat. It's just funny that you know somebody would look at the work that I've done. And be like, you're the guy to do work for asking Alexandria, like you know. But I think it was uh, more word of mouth from my buddy Chuck, who works at Good Fight. And oh yeah, a good word in uh, with the tour manager. But honestly, like, I, I'm not kidding. If they if they're listening, if, you know, and they want to hit me up for more work, I'd be more than happy. See, but that's that's kind of the thing. It's like I don't, I don't think. Um, I think there is sort of like at least in the hardcore scene, like the sort of immature like um, perspective of. Because even even a friend of mine who was a tour manager, like merch guy, um, ends up working for a lot of these bands that we don't necessarily think are, are good bands, or mm-hmm. we like them, or whatever. We disagree with them somehow. But I mean, it's a job, man. You know, it's like you obviously are, are you know, you have your your art that's personal to you, but then there's also the commerce end of things, you mm-hmm. know, which is like totally understandable. I mean, you know, I, I personally think that if you can still maintain your your creative integrity by doing things for yourself and then you do these sort of workman like projects for other people i don't i mean that's completely acceptable you know yeah art i think at least with illustration people are 
definitely way more forgiving in terms of, you know, the kind of true aspect of it, you know, because nobody's looking at, like, Gary Baseman, and, you know, he did everything. He did. He came up with his own board game, for Christ's sake, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure people have a problem with him, but nobody's like, oh, what a sellout. Like, yeah. he's just, he made it. That's the difference. Whereas with music, there's this ideology attached to what they're doing, and I'm sure that there are a lot of punk artists out there who would be like, oh, fucking sellout, working for, you know, whoever, but I, I don't listen to that noise at all. Yeah, I mean, punk rock in general, I don't know. It's just naive in a lot of ways. And I think in the last podcast, I, this is the this is the part of the podcast where I tell people to suck my dick. So, <laughs> like in this in this case, it's going to be like punk punk artists, you know. Who, hey man, I'm all about supporting what you do, but then you need to like not criticize other people for trying to actually have a job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, the last time around, it was talking about. Uh, the Black Flag reunion and how uh, there's there's those out there who who kind of um, you know they're, they're like the anti Rollins faction you know the mm-hmm. Black Flag fans and I'm just like man you can't really you know that era of the band for me was like definitely like the more creative musical side of things and if people are like oh yeah, Keith Morris you know that that's my favorite stuff like whatever I'm like that was like saying a band demo is like your favorite thing by the bands you know what I mean. Yeah, but really, how uncommon is that these days? People saying that the demo is the best thing. It's just, for me, and again, this is a dude talking about a band that, you know, broke up, what, like three years after he was born? You know, like, yeah, you know, if obviously nobody should take this as gospel because I'm just a kid. But at the same time, for me, Black Flag as a band no longer exists. Like, there is no combination of any of those guys that would be black flag anymore it's just become this legend that people have you know had many conversations about and no matter what they do at this point it's never going to live up to that expectation and if they want to go out and make the money then i'm not one to stop them but i just you know i'm far more impressed with uh keith moore saying that it's flag rather than greg Ginn saying that it's black flag yeah either neither one of those things i really get down with i mean i think so anyway, yeah. So I guess you're 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 sort of on the same page more than yeah. I am, you know. As far as like, yeah, I think they just let let sleeping dogs lie, you know, because that band doesn't exist anymore, right? You know, and and in general, all these re- there's been a rash of reunions in the last like you know maybe ten years or so, mm-hmm. and in pretty much every single case, I don't think that those bands reforming and playing live shows anymore is relevant at all. Uh, that would be one where I disagree, just because. Okay. I actually got to go to a lot of those reunion shows. Right. And part of it is definitely the fact that I was just too young to see some of these bands or I just yeah. wasn't aware at the time. So, like, Refused. I never got to see Refused. And I never really had a problem with that because, you know, I guess the biggest problem everybody had was that they're this band with these, you know, proto-communist ideals, yet they're playing on Jimmy Fallon making a shitload of money. But at the same time the last refused tour in the U S was what, like a basement tour and they quit halfway because their van broke down. Like that's not a way to go out for a band. And the fact that they were able to do this and get the most number of people to come out and check it out for one last time is fine with me. But like a band like black flag where, you know, there was just so much infighting and there's so much confusion, confusion surrounding it that it's this whole other 
problem. Like, they had their last show. They had their way to go out. They toured the U.S. a million times, and everybody got to see it. Well, everybody oh, yeah. at the time got to see it. It's not like Refused, where it was just this kind of clusterfuck of problems. Like, if Cursed got back together, I know that that wouldn't happen. I would totally be down for a Cursed reunion, because their ending was they got robbed in Germany. And then they just said, fuck it, we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like if Curse wanted to reform and start making new music together, and then we were like, okay, we're, we took a little break, now we're back, then mm-hmm. I, would, I would support that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that once you get a chance to – if, if, if you miss out, you miss out. It's just the life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean? There's tons of bands I never saw. You know, I never saw, you know – Deep Purple, you know what I mean? Like, I never saw Led Zeppelin, you know? Mm-hmm. I never got a chance to see The Doors, you know what I mean? Those are, like, yeah. bands that, like, their time came and went, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's part of the fabric of history, and you can enjoy, like, reading about it or listening to live recordings, but I think that even... Say, for example, Jim Morrison had survived, and The Doors had a reunion, and I went to go... Or I had the opportunity to go see them. I would think that I really wasn't seeing the doors. I was seeing like the guys that used to be the doors that are playing music. They wrote like 40 years ago Mm -hmm. and the experience is completely different. And the way that they sit in my consciousness would be completely different than the way they would back when they were like, you know, doing it the first time around, you know? Yeah. But you could even say that for any active band, even like saying, you know, seeing Converge in 2000 versus seeing Converge now is going to be two completely different things just because they're older dudes. I agree completely, you know, you know? but I think that they, but for better or for worse, they've been making music the whole time. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and, and they're, you know, some, you know, you know, they've been doing their thing the whole time. They've been touring, they've been making records, mm-hmm. you know, and they have been quote unquote developing as artists and uh you can see progress and they have songs i guess they pull out from their repertoire from their older records right but there's still a continuum of music that they've created this whole time Mm -hmm. you know it's like going back to black flag like they broke up and then there was this like period of 30 something years or i don't think it's quite that long see 86 96 20 almost 30 years of inactivity yeah. And, you know, Greg has been making music and playing and whatnot, but, you know, you, you resurrect Ron Reyes out of, like, obscurity. Nowhere, yeah. You know? And he played with the band once, like, three years ago, and that was it, you know? Like, you're going to haul that guy out on the road and tell him to perform every night. Right. You know? And it's like, I don't see that as being something that's good. Unless this guy, like, went into the most intense training and practice regime ever <laughs> for like two solid months before doing it then maybe but you you just fit into the fabric of the universe in a different way when after not doing something for almost 30 years right you know so there's a difference you know and now there's like this judge reunion like that's coming up too yeah, which i so. find like completely especially since mike judge vowed never to do you know a reunion and now i guess like you know the money's right or the time is right or like he's bored or whatever. And now it's like, we're doing a judge reunion. I know? definitely saw that one coming though, just because the rumor on the street was, uh, Joe hardcore was courting Mike judge for a long time to play this hardcore. And I kind of just looked at that and it was like, all right, it's just a matter of time. You know, it's, it is what it is. And quite honestly, I'm not in the room with these guys to determine who's doing it for the money and who's just genuinely interested in doing it again. And, you know, even if it's just 
whatever band karaoke, I still get super amped on going to shows and punching kids and jumping off the stage. So if it's punk rock karaoke night, then so be it. I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just can't get behind it, really. I mean, the only reunion I really was interested in was that Rorschach reunion because mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I thought it was cooler because they were just like, yeah, we're going to do a bunch of dates. They like went on tour. You know, they did a tour. It wasn't just like, we're going to play like, you know, this one particular festival and, you know, Bonnaroo. collect like a couple grand or whatever. You know, they did a tour. It was all original members. It was all original roadies, which is like something <laughs> that a lot of people didn't know about, which I thought was cool. Because my friend Will, Will Tarrant, Texas, uh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw, Will Tarrant from Chainsaw Safety Records. Uh -huh. You know, he, uh, you know, he was one of their roadies, man. He went, he did that European tour with them. He went on the road with that band and he was part of that. And it was like this kind of really cool sort of one last time, you know, vibe, you know, and they, and they I thought it was, I thought it was cool, you know, and I, I enjoyed seeing Rorschach, but I guess that's my one, you know, pleasure, my one guilty pleasure in this wave of, of reunions, but. I don't know. I just wish it would just stop. I mean, we have Quicksand out there now. We have, which is a band I never really liked, honestly. You know, uh -huh. but they're out there doing this thing. You know, people are excited about that. I guess there's uh, My Bloody Valentine is making a new record. Yeah, I saw. And, I thought they released it. Yeah, well, it's out. I haven't yeah, heard yeah. it yet. And uh, your friend Jamie Getz uh, got in touch with me about that, and I haven't heard <laughs> it yet. But, um, you know, my friend too, Jamie Getz. But... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about all this stuff. I mean, you know, Sabbath is making it, or, you know, there's been a, a, a report of Sabbath recording a new yeah. record, and I don't know, man. I just wish people would just move forward in their lives. There's, I definitely look at the bigger bands in a different way than the smaller bands, though. Like, you know, Slayer kicking out Dave Lombardo for their Australian tour, or possibly permanently, or whatever. Like, Slayer, to me, at this point, is a corporation. They're not a band. Yeah. And... You know, that's fine. They're making money playing thrash for the rest of their life. But, you know, to think that Slayer is what Slayer was in 1988 is just, it's not the case. And you have to kind of go into that with that kind of expectation. Like, when your lawyers kick out one of your members, then, you know, you're not a band anymore. And that's fine, but yeah. you're not a band. Yeah, I agree with that. It's definitely kind of weird. You know, I was real excited back when Lombardo joined the band again, you know, like mm. 15 years ago at this point or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I guess with Slayer, it's hard to really look at them as a band anymore. They're just this institution that, yeah. you know, puts records out. And they're, and I got to say, I do enjoy their later material. Um, the only Slayer record I actually don't back 100% is that Diablos in Musica, like that one was yeah. like their sort of new metal album. Right. But, uh, you know, you get God Hates Us All, you know, Christ Illusion and whatever. Christ, was it Christ, Christ Inversion? No, Christ Illusion. Christ Illusion, and yeah. And World Painted Blood. World Painted Blood. You know, you know what you're going to get, you know? It's like mm -hmm. well-executed thrash metal with like a vaguely satanic, you know, image to it, you know, mm -hmm. or an anti-Christian idea, even though one guy is a Catholic, you know? That was the thing that actually <laughs> prevented me from listening to Slayer for a little while. Yeah. Finding out that... Tom Mariah was Catholic just because not in the sense that I can't listen to anybody who's a Christian, but if you're a Christian who's profiting off of music, that's very anti-Christian. Yeah. Then I have a big problem with that. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, it made me sort of look at them in a different way, you know, as well. 
especially being a Catholic too, you know, that's sort of this like suppressive guilt ridden religious, you know, religion in general, you Mm -hmm. know, if he was saying like, I was a Buddhist or something like that, I'd have a different take on it. It's not necessarily being religious. That's I'm at at odds with. It's the fact that he, you know, stated openly that he's a Catholic, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm also um, was raised a Catholic too. So I understand the subtleties of that religion and the Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, domineering uh, guilt trips that are associated with that, you know, sort of legend, you know, that, that version of the, of the Christ uh, mythology, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, as far as uh, back to the artwork, you know, this, um, this filius concept that you're involved with, uh, what were some of the things that sort of played into your, um, you know, inspiring you to do the work in this, in this uh, upcoming show? So, phillies were never something that I ever considered. I always, you know, everybody knows about phobias, but, you know, the only phillies that anybody really knows commonly are necrophilia and pedophilia. Okay. And so, going into that, I was like, all right, those two are, com- like, just way off the table. Those aren't even going to be considered. And so, I did, again, the internet research of what would be interesting to do. And, you, you know, you just go through these lists of all the different phillies out there. And I kind of landed on red because it was abstract enough that you really have to do your work in order to convey that somebody is obsessed with a color rather than, you know, you can't, you know, if you have obsession with women, then you can just draw somebody fawning over, you know, a woman or something like that. But red really kind of requires. Is that affiliate obsession with women? Oh, yeah. Everything. What's that called? Technically. Uh, I wouldn't know it off the top of my head. Interesting. Uh, But, you know, you really kind of have to sit down and map everything out. And, you know, I've known about the show for months now. And it was only in the past week that I was able to actually work on the finish because I spent the rest of the time planning out what elements go where, what represents what. And so I had this woman who's, uh, this redheaded woman, ginger woman, who's wearing a dress in the shape of a heart, holding red wine with bright red lipstick smudged over her face and uh, cardinal feathers for earrings and uh, neck rings to elongate the neck that turn into a snake. And, you know, the cardinal feathers are supposed to be a representation of uh, impeding others in your own, like, in your quest for obsession. You know, you had to remove the feathers something that this bird needs to survive and fly you needed it for vanity and uh appearances and the neck the neck rings are the ultimate form for me one of the you know most extreme forms of uh, body modification in terms of beauty you know these neck rings that uh destroy your clavicle and yeah. completely warp your physiology right for this very specific cultural um this cultural standard yeah, and, you know, turning into this serpent that's, you know, where it's really meant to be a form of beauty is really just something that's choking the life out of you. And, you know, again, everything has meaning and I, I won't go for the next eight hours, <laughs> you know, pontificating about bullshit, but, you know, it really does require a lot of research. So, um, 
you know, are are you are you do you know the other artists involved in tonight's show or, or yeah, I'm okay, friends with friends Buddy, I'm friends with Heather. Uh, I've met Corey once, but we've stayed friends over the internet. Um, I'm friends with this girl Amanda Shames, who's in the show. Um, I I know a few of the others, but then there are others who are in the show who I've never met before, who I really would like to meet tonight. Ah. Interesting. What time does this whole thing kick off tonight? It's like uh, uh, it starts at seven, goes until ten. Right on. So it'll be a good time. So, Mike, back in the day, you used to do shows in Philly too. Are yeah. you still doing that? I can't. As much as I, I always try to help bands as much as possible, especially bands that are having a tough time in a place like Philly. Philly is notorious for having, you know, one of the worst reputations in terms of booking shows. We don't have that many all ages venues, and the ones that are all ages are really hard to actually book, and they're prohibitively expensive. So, you know, any time a band would need a show, I would just be like, all right, I'll take on the job and, you know, do my best to promote it. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And, you know, I spent a lot of money on it, but I just realized that now I'm friends with enough promoters where I can point people in the right direction and they would do a a far better job than me who's trying to do, you know, a day job and freelance work and taking care of my dog and, you know, a million other things and try to promote a show for a band that deserves a lot more attention than they would get from me. Yeah, it seems like R5 uh, pretty much takes care of most of the needs of booking in Philadelphia. But there there are definitely a few others that kind of popped up. Like there's uh, this guy, Logan, who's in the band Backslider, who takes care of pretty much all of the like cool underground grind bands. Right. And Like Grind and Power Violence all go through Logan. and Or they'll go to Greg Daly, who is t- pretty much R5, but not technically, I, I don't think. Maybe he is, I'm not sure. But it's a lot of people who work under the R5 umbrella that kind of just promote on their own time rather than using a lot of R5 resources. Do you know our new drum, our, uh, our new drummer, yeah. <laughs> Do you know our new bass player, Ben? Oh, yeah. Ben, Ben's a good guy. Uh, I met him, I think, a few years back at this point. Uh, he was He's friends with a buddy of mine, Doug, who's in A Life One's Lost. And oh, yeah. To, uh-huh. uh, Snake Sustain. Snake Sustain. Yep. <laughs> And uh, I got to meet him at a bunch of different shows, and that guy is just the epitome of nice dude. Yeah, Ben's been working out real well, man. Real excited about it. Yeah, know? he definitely fits the bill. Like he he has the appearance, he gets into the music, like yeah. he has the drive to do it, and he's not an asshole. Which no, you know, no, he's <laughs> an easy guy to get along with. You know, because originally Ben was just supposed to fill in on that last tour we did, mm-hmm. and um. Uh, Sean Dunn from Hull was actually the dude who was going to be playing bass for us. And, uh, you know, just schedule-wise, like, you know, Hull was on tour right around the same time we were going out. So it was this kind of thing of like, yeah, you know, he learned all of our material and was like helping us write some new songs and he couldn't do that tour. So um, Ben was also another person I talked to. Mm-hmm. So I just asked Ben, I'm like, hey, can you fill in with this? And, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, so he learned all the songs. We went on the road. And then I remember the last day that I was rolling up to the end of the tour. I was talking to Andrew, our drummer. And I was just like, man, what do you think? What do you think about asking Ben to play? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, dope. He's like, of course, yes. And then uh, Eric Larson, who was driving us, he kind of like 
took me aside one day and he was just like, you know, you should, should ask this guy about playing in the band. I go, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm like, why? You know, why should I ask him? He's like, I think he'd be really into it, you know? So that last day of the tour, we asked him and, I was, and he was just like, yeah. And ever since then, it's been great, man. Just we're, we're in this like really creative period where, um, you know, everyone seems to be contributing to the songwriting, at least a little bit, you know, as much mm-hmm. as, you know, more so in the, in the past where like, I felt like I, had written most, I would say, written all the material, with the exceptions of maybe you know a couple of things here and there. Um, but now it's just like uh, a really almost collaborative effort with everyone, sort of pulling their own weight with writing their own parts at least. And, and in some cases, uh, Garrett, our other guitar player, mm-hmm. has been uh, you know writing riffs to turn into songs now. So it's kind of a new, sort of new era, I think, for us to step into with you know this this lineup that we have and also technically everyone is like this is like some of the best musicians i think i've played with you know referring primarily to ben and garrett who are insane insane guitar player bass player and ben is also a great guitarist too because he plays guitar on whoa Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm pretty excited about that yeah i mean seeing you guys at the decibel show is fucking amazing like actually getting to see you you know i saw you when you opened for uh, Isis and Pelican, but that was kind of, you know, it was a smaller group where was, this was like a proper show yeah. with, you know, multiple albums backing you. Everything was, you know, properly mic'd and, you know, a nice size crowd. And yeah. it was really probably one of the best, if not the best times that I've ever seen you guys. Oh, great. Just cool. like it, everything was spot on. Presentation was great. And I was glad to see Ben up there as much as I love Carson, but Ben is a really awesome bassist. And- yeah, you know, they're just different types of players, really. And, you know, Carson, you know, definitely uh, contributed to the band went during his, his, you know, tenure with us. But, you know, Ben is like a really proactive player. You know, like he spends a lot of time at home playing, and I know that he's rehearsing, and that's uh, – he just brings a lot to the table, I think, as a musician, so – that show was pretty nuts, man. Like that decibel yeah, 100th uh, issue show. It was weird because I... I barely saw you. I saw you for like three seconds and that mm-hmm. was it. I was all over the place that night. And, you know, it was weird. And this is the epitome of first world problems for me. But <laughs> it was the same night as the Left 4 Dead reunion in Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that entire lineup was like unbelievably stellar to me. It was uh, Left 4 Dead, Despise You, Lack of Interest, Weekend Nachos, Sick Fix... And I was just like, why, who thought that it would be a good idea to book these shows on the same night? Like, well, there was multiple shows all over the, the, the sort of, you know, Philly, New York, New York, mm-hmm. New Jersey area. Cause in, in New York, that same night, there was neurosis right. and catharsis were playing, right. You know, the same night. So, and then the Philly show, then left for dead. It's all right. crazy. It was just nuts. But honestly, like, I don't have any regrets. That show from start to I didn't. I unfortunately missed Evoking, but I got there uh, as you guys are setting up, and then from start to finish, I was just really floored. Do yourself a favor, and next time Evoking is playing in Philly mm-hmm. or <clears throat> even up here in New York or wherever Jersey, go see them because mm-hmm. they're amazing. It was just I was uh, getting food with friends who were coming down from New York, and we just couldn't make it back in time. But <laughs> yeah. And I saw, like, you know, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, St. Vitus, I checked the lineup for St. Vitus, and I'm 
so fucking jealous of some of the shows that you have coming up there. Yeah. Like, you have DRI playing yep. St. Vitus. That's fucking crazy. With a death cycle. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, um, yeah, I'm really good friends with those guys. But aside from us being friends, it's like they're like a really interesting hardcore band because they definitely draw equally from like Sick of It All and like Agnostic Front as well as like, you know, like Black Sabbath, you know, mm-hmm. and like Celtic Frost and Venom and those bands too, you know. I mean, you mm-hmm. can kind of hear all those influences together, you know, and and, that's, and Ron Grimaldi, the singer, you know, Paul from Black Anvil's in it, you know, Gary from Black Anvil, mm-hmm. um, John LaFada, who was in, uh, he was in Madball for a while, and also uh, that band from Long Island whose name I can't remember right now. Mind Over Matter. Mm-hmm. Just like really experienced players, you know, just playing, just kicking ass. So, are, you should come up for that show. Uh, it's in the middle of the week, oh, so yeah. I don't think I can. It, it it sucks. Like I now that I have a dog, I can't do like the go to work, hop up to New York for a show, and yeah. then drive back. But yeah, there there are definitely some shows. I saw that you guys are going to be playing with Absu on yeah. my birthday. Actually, oh, I wow. might come up for that. So. It's a weekend too. So yeah. I think it's actually a Thursday. Oh, see, I don't even know. <laughs> it's close enough to the weekend. Yeah. Like, okay, doesn't matter. But, well, yeah. Let me know if you want to come up for that show. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I never got to see Absu. I, I haven't either, actually. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I've never been a big fan of theirs. I, the only stuff that I heard was their last album, and I really enjoyed it. The last, yeah, I'm going to say the last couple of records has really been. Those are the ones I think are good. I remember back in the 90s when um, I was just starting to hear about American black metal. Mm-hmm. I checked it out, and I wasn't that into it, really. Mm-hmm. You know, But, I mean, I acknowledge them as being a band that's been around forever and, you know, definitely, you know, uh, sort of influential. I know Proscriptor is a really sick drummer, mm-hmm. so that's about it, really, I have to say about them. We'll see how they do live. Right, right. A lot of times they get really disappointed by bands in the black metal scene when they play live. Did you see uh, Deaf Heaven yesterday? Uh, no. We played with them in South by Southwest a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And they seem like really nice guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to try to come up for that one, but I just couldn't make it out. Again, it's just the story of my life at this point. Everything is just, you know, work, work, work. And, yeah. You know, not, not like it was four years ago when I could just be like, fuck it, I'm going to yeah. New York on a Wednesday. and. Yeah, we played with them, and uh, there was like a South by Southwest show with um, Brooklyn Vegan. It's something to do with putting it together. It might have been their mm-hmm. showcase or something like that. It was uh, Death Heaven, uh, Castavet, um, us, uh, you know, like Dark Castle, or they're called Black okay. Castle. Dark Castle. Yeah. From and the Northwest. I thought they were from the South, honestly. I don't know. They sound like <laughs> in fucking New Orleans or some place like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we caught we caught a little bit of their set. They seemed they seemed all right, you know. It, there was supposed to be a tour with like us, the Secret, them, and uh, some other band that uh, didn't happen, and that was like a couple of years ago. And that was supposed to be in Europe, but it turned into us and the Secret in Europe. So that was mm. that was always good. It's know. funny because now they're going over to Europe now to tour with the Secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they're sort of like you know, secrets a bunch of whores. <laughs> no, I mean those guys tour a lot, so that's I'm good. Joking, I'm you know, joking. and uh, have you ever met those guys? Yeah, yeah, I got to meet uh, Marco and Michael uh, yeah. when they played with the Funeral Pyre in Philly. Oh, that was that's their first U.S. tour. 
that oh, was yeah. that was yeah, our first yeah, time yeah, over yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those guys are great, man. I love those guys. They're um that was great doing the tour with them over there. I'm hoping I lo- I love to come have them come to the states and tour with them too. But uh it just seems like things don't really line up too well with that. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I I their new records awesome and you know, I'm sure you I'm sure you have it, you know, or heard it or this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that actually was one of my top ones of last year. Yeah. 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 I kind of think that they're one of the stand stand out bands from that new sound that Southern Lord has really. Mm-hmm. You know, Southern Lord's been sort of dipping into that black and hardcore. Right. You know, boss heavy metal pedal 2, you know, sound. <laughs> That's all the technical stuff that I'll never understand. Well, it's like uh, the, that band Entombed. Like their whole sound is like based around this like pedal, the HM2, which mm-hmm. is like uh, you know a distortion pedal. Right. And uh, there seems to be like this big wave of uh, you know younger dudes playing hardcore style music that yeah. are dipping heavily into that sound. There are definitely bands like that, but it, something that's that really annoyed me was uh, Metal Sucks ran an article that. Uh, do you know the blog stuff that you'll hate? No, I'm not familiar with that. It's this dude who just writes all these articles that are essentially trolling hardcore metal kids. Yeah. And uh, one of the articles that he wrote was, is Entombed Core the next big thing in metal? And, you know, he cited all these bands that are essentially that sound. And, yeah, I definitely see the correlation between, you know, obviously there's the correlation. You know, everybody loves the sound. It became popular. But it's more just this idea of, why are we so quick to slap a label on it? Yeah. And why are we so quick to eat our young before they really have proven their worth? Like they, they were talking about, uh, nails, trap them, uh, uh, new lows and, you know, but essentially a lot of the Southern Lord bands, yeah. enabler. And, okay. you know, the problem that I have is that everybody says, all right, you know, and tomb core is the next big hipster thing. Fuck that shit. It's like, well, they make good music. Like some of the bands do definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there are definitely yeah. bands out there that just, they kind of fall flat. Yeah. But the main ones that they mentioned, I was just like, I, I like yeah. these bands. And, you know, I mean, they also all like, you know, trap them has been doing stuff for a long time. That, you know, yeah, it's not that, like they're some like, I mean, they're, they've kind of, I think they, they kind of ran their course really at this point. I mean, I don't know if they're even together anymore, but they, yeah, they, uh, they, from what I understand, they broke up for a bit, and now they're back together to record a new album. Oh, but cool. it's kind of like hush-hush at this point. Oh. Like, they mentioned it, but <laughs> not like they're not giving any details or not saying what they're doing. It's just kind of like Brian went online. He's like, yeah, we're doing Trap Them stuff again, so that's a thing. And But yeah, like they mentioned Trap Them, and they're like, yeah, Trap Them, you know, they're one of the older bands. I don't really know it. But like you look at Trap Them... But really, it started with backstabbers. Like, yeah, yeah, backstabbers definitely. was doing that. Yeah, the chaotic sort of stuff. Yeah. Really, I mean, I don't, I don't really consider them to be like this hipster band at all. Really, I mean, because they've been doing there are this. a lot of people who do. Really? Yeah, it's sad. Well, I mean, actually, I remember on that tour with Sixteen, like some dude from uh, Hales and Horns sort of used that term to describe Tombs too as a hipster sort of band. But I don't. I mean, I'm too old to be a hipster, man. You know, it's like I don't even understand what that that sort of like comes from you know what i mean i don't think anybody really knows what it means it's just kind of this vague insult that people like to hurl around this is a dude who like i put on a guest list to like come and interview me and bobby from 16 Mm. and like he opens up the fucking conversation with some shit like that and like you know 
I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you fucking, you know, this guy, like, I, 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 you know, gave him a guest list spot, you know, and then we were playing in New York where we have like tons of, you know, our friends and, you know, fucking all kinds of people yeah. here that I would rather have gotten into the show for free except for this fucking clown, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And he starts off in this adversarial, like, you know, look how clever I am, you know, sort of vibe. And that just changed. I don't even know if they ran the interview because I just started like, like <laughs> you sort of like, you know, just, just tripping out on this guy a little bit, you know. And it was kind of a drag because it was like the last show of the tour. You know, I just wanted to hang out and like talk to some people I hadn't seen in a while. So I had had to deal with this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, I don't really think, I mean, I, people have their own opinion, obviously, but I don't, I don't, I can't imagine, I've never been called a hipster before. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know. I just don't see that as being something that I would ever be accused of, you know. So, hey, whatever, man. Everyone has their own opinion, I guess. It's the internet, man. <laughs> the anonymity of the internet is just this awful, awful tool that people like to use to their advantage and just hurl insults with zero repercussion. And yeah. You know what? It their insults mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. You know, they're, it's, they're just one of. You know, however many millions of comments that are just floating around the, you know, the cesspool that is, you know, Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of um, that sort of lack of, uh, of retribution, that sort of lack of responsibility that arises from the sort of social media world is, uh, is kind of a bummer. You know, back in the day, like when you insulted somebody, you would have to put your hands up and like defend yourself but now it's like you can lob these comments at people and have you know no no repercussions at all you know mm. i still try to conduct myself in a way where i feel like someone's going to punch me in the face if i insult them you know i think that's kind of a good way to like go through life yeah I, it's i've noticed this kind of love for extremes with uh people on the internet either somebody loves something or they hate something they can't just say oh you know it's not my thing or oh it's good it's just it has to be, oh, it fucking sucks, tour flip, whatever, blah, blah. Or, you know, oh, my God, this band is the best thing ever. Or, you know, this album that came out like 10 minutes ago changed my life. Like, you know, people have this lack of perspective on everything. And, you know, the Internet, is, you know, the anonymity of the Internet is really, you know, partly to blame. Yeah. It's just, it could also just be youth and... You know, yeah, but you'd be surprised. There's like some people um, that are you would think would know better that engage in this sort of thing too. Mm -hmm. You know, this sort of like you know Twitter wars or yeah, you know <laughs> whatever Twitter wars, Facebook wars, like whatever the next thing is going to be. You know, this Vine. Yeah, I don't know. I was vining you earlier. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. Uh, yeah, you know yeah, what that is. I know Vine. <laughs> it's something I and this is something that I really kind of don't like uh <laughs> social media is hard enough to keep up with yeah where like you know you had a myspace all right now you need to have a facebook all right now you need to have a twitter and a tumblr and all these other things and now at this point i have facebook twitter tumblr instagram um linkedin and i think those are the main ones and now like vine is coming up myspace yeah. is coming back it's like uh justin timberlake's yeah. re resurrecting myspace but it's supposed to be geared towards bands and musicians, though, this right. time around. I saw, like, the promo for it, like, online. There was some, like, big promotional push for mm -hmm. it. And, uh, I mean, I guess it looks interesting, man, because I think originally MySpace was designed for, for artists and musicians and whatnot. So mm -hmm. so it just kind of got co-opted by, like, uh, you know, the sort of, like, search for, um, 
you know, cyber meeting or whatever you want to just, you know, yeah. chicks, mediocre looking women taking pictures of themselves. It's, you know, flattering right angles angle. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it was interesting to see that after the social aspect of MySpace died, the kind of, the bands really kind of kept it afloat for yeah. quite yeah. some time until Facebook introduced their own. And that was kind of the killing blow. But now you have, you know, Facebook band camp, yep. reverb nation, yep. like, SoundCloud, a million places that you can put your music. SoundCloud, I actually really enjoy. Um, I I, st- I have you know and everything black, everything went black. SoundCloud, and that's uh-huh. a lot of it's like the Vasilek material that I've been working on, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of cool. I think you can. I actually find that really, really good for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't know if so many people necessarily check that out, but it's a good way of sharing um, stuff you're working on with other people because. Mm-hmm. You can send them like a streaming version of it and you can just oh yeah, check this out, you know. And still keep it private, I guess, in some ways. There's this other a new thing called Mixcloud. I don't know if you heard of that. No. I just started posting the podcast on there too. Mm. And uh moving forward I think I'm gonna be doing some uh some sort of playlists or mixtapes or whatever. And it's it's interesting, you know, it's once again it's another one of these like things that are sort of arising in the environment of Facebook and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it's like another way of like sharing music that's uh not uh that's conforms with all of the, the sort of legal stuff, you know what I mean? So it it's not so much that I don't think that they're valuable tools. Like all the programs that I'm or all the sites that I mentioned, you know, really do have their benefits and that they really helped contribute to, you know, where I'm at today. Right. It's just this saturation of, you know, all these places and this kind of necessary, you know, push to have your work on all of them. Yeah. That's kind of the problem that I have where, you know, it takes, you know, whereas before I could just post something to MySpace and in what, like five minutes and I'm done. It takes me about half an hour now to upload it to all the proper channels and make sure everything's tagged properly. Everything links to, you know, together correctly. No, that's a good point. Yeah, just the, te- the tedium of keeping everything updated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mike, I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you have to get back to the gallery. But um, you know, I'd like to thank you for um, you know for stopping by. I know that today's kind of a crunch for you. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm really happy they had me on. Thank you very much. So, sort of tying into what we were just talking about, where can people find you online? Like, what's your Twitter or your various websites? My website is thefatkidillustration.com. You can find me on Facebook at Fat Kid, or the Fat Kid Illustration. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Fat Kid Illus, and on Instagram at the Fat Kid Illus. Uh, but honestly, you can do a Google search for uh, Mike Wahlberg TFK or even Mike Wahlberg, and I should be the first things that come up. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you.